there, Mark. Hello. So, obviously, it is a Wednesday, and we normally would not put out an episode. Yes, this is an emergency that we immediately needed to tell everyone about. Right, this is, of course, an emergency weg tent episode of We Love to Love. As you know, we are devotees of the work of Renee Zellweger, inspired in part by the amount of DreamWorks work we have seen her do. That and the perfection that is... Down with love. Of course. That is what truly sold me on Renee Zellweger. She's great in Chicago. She's wonderful in everything she does. And she's never shined more brightly or had more fun than in the show What Slash If. What If? Is this her first TV show that she is a regular on? I do not know. I will check. Because I believe this is her first time on TV and... And to be fair, she's not really on TV. She, of course, is on Netflix. This is What If, the new Netflix whatever it is series. We'll see if it exists after this. So, for a little bit of context, on May 24th, Netflix released this new drama series. Allegedly an anthology that will follow a different story called What Slash If. The slash is unnecessary, to say the least. Very much so. According to the press release when the series was announced, it is a show about, quote, the ripple effects of what happens when acceptable people start doing unacceptable things. Each season will tackle a different morality tale inspired by culturally consequential source material and the power of a single fateful decision to change the trajectory of an entire life. The show was created by Mike Kelly, who had previously created ABC's Revenge, as well as CBS's Swingtown. And the first two episodes are directed by Philip Noyce of Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, Salt, Thrillers, basically. And this is quite a thriller. Oh boy, I certainly yelled a lot like I was on a roller coaster. I was watching the first two episodes on my computer with headphones on while Nick and Claire were in the room. And I had to point out to them at one point that this show had no jokes, but I was still laughing louder than I've laughed at a TV show in a while. I straight up cackled for about two minutes at the end of the final episode. This show is unbelievably weird. For the most part, it's incredibly boring. But then Renee Zellweger is on screen and it's just, she is acting with every fiber of her being yeah and having the most wonderful time of her life i can guarantee i don't know if i've ever seen a role that is more fun than anne montgomery because you just get to be as rude and cruel as you want the show starts off with a monologue from renee zellweger that i watched three times to make sure i could write down the whole thing on the little hotel notepad that i was taking notes on and This is what I have down from it. And it's never clear to me who she was talking to at the time, but I wrote down some of what I could get. It's made clear she's talking to her dictaphone. Right. Everything happens for a reason. All your efforts, personal, professional, and carnal, utter and absolute slaves to some cosmically predetermined set of outcomes, as if we have no say in, let alone culpability for, the defining moments of our lives. If you want a life of purpose, 
begin by inverting the notion that everything happens for a reason. This is how people talk in this show. I can guarantee there are about 20 cuts in that time that monologue was given. Oh my gosh, this show cuts so much. It's like the aesthetic of the show is never look at anything for too long. Will pointed this out to me. So when I started episode 7, I counted the first scene lasts about a minute. There are 18 cuts. We did a scene in episode 9 that was a two-minute scene, and it cut 35 times. There are never two people talking to each other in the same shot. It is always dialogue where you cut back and forth. But it also cuts back and forth to show reactions while people are talking, so it's constant. Yeah. I like when they cut to somebody and the frame is, like, cutting off part of their forehead, and then it adjusts upward, because no one told them you're allowed to do multiple takes. I think that this show has proven that Renee Zellweger is the monologuer of the 21st century. She's incredible. If not ever. Yeah. Because 90% of Anne Montgomery's performance is monologues with rapid cuts while she's wearing insanely cool outfits. She looks awesome. She is dressed to perfection in this show. So again, this show is Netflix's What If? You can't hear the slash. I interpret it to mean we say them together, like and or, so we have to say it quickly. We could talk about this show for hours. So just to keep this contained, because look, you've already heard one episode from us this week. I respect your time. My podcast feed is full. I'm going to set a 45-minute timer. We're going to talk until it runs out, and then we're done. All right? Okay. Okay. I'm hitting start on it now. So... For starters, let's talk about the writing on this show, because it reminded me a lot of God Friended Me, in that nobody talks like a human. There's not a single person in this show that I would describe as a natural performance. No. We have our leads in the show. We have Sean Donovan, the former baseball player slash murderer, played by Blake Jenner. We have Jane Levy playing Lisa Ruiz Donovan. An interesting move on this show's part is they have a white lead... But she was adopted by a, like, Latinx family so that they can have a lot of diversity but still have white leads. And I found it very confusing. The show is very diverse. It is. It's very diverse. She has a Hispanic gay brother who at the end... Like adoptive brother. Yeah. At the end marries a black man and they have... Her husband's best friend is a black guy who is married to a black lady doctor. Yeah. And basically... Every evil person is white, except is for a the white two man, leads. pretty much. Yeah, except for Anne. Um, but is she evil, or is she just complicated? No, she's pretty much evil. She is evil. This, this show is very clearly on the side that Anne is evil. So, we have not really gotten into this. Netflix is, what if? <laughs> Leads with its main premise as, we've got Lisa, she works at a like medical technology startup. That she founded. Right. Her husband is a former baseball player he's a disgraced pitcher and he's now working as a bartender and he wants to become a firefighter and one night he's working at the bar and renee zellweger approaches him and starts flirting with him and he's like sorry i'm married and she's like oh tell me about your wife and she's like really impressed with the work that lisa is doing and she invites lisa and sean over to her penthouse so that lisa can pitch her technology to Anne montgomery played by the great Renee Zellweger. They get there, and Anne is like, I'm happy to fund your company, but what you need to do to get that is to let me spend a night with your husband 
and you can never ask what we do. To which Sean says, maybe we should think about it. And Lisa says, no, we're not going to think about it. It's not even an original idea. She got it from a bad 90s movie. To which Renee Zellweger says, I thought thought it was a pretty decent movie. I actually have that quote. I thought that movie was quite decent. Give me a break. Because you have to remember, nothing is written to sound like a human would actually talk, so I wanted to note down how she actually talks. Because, of course, it's a reference to an indecent proposal. She also must be working her voice, because she has it at, like, a much lower octave than normal. I was curious about how raspy her voice must be after doing this performance. So... That's where we kind of kick off. We have this indecent proposal situation. But then the show just goes into weird warrens. It turns out they do not have sex that night. Because Renee Zellweger and Montgomery is this, like, motivational speaker slash investor. And her whole philosophy is trust no one, count on no one, just be your true worst version of yourself. And do whatever you can to succeed at any cost. That's the title of her book. When she's giving the opening monologue, we see her write the words at any cost and double underline it. The monologue is her writing her book. She just talks it instead of writing. Right. And yeah, she's that kind of like high drama lady. Multiple times we see her standing in her apartment staring out at thunderstorms. (laughs) With just shots of a ring of keys that are in a glass case. Because you gotta find the key to her past. And... She also has a business card that just says her name. Yeah. It just says Anne Montgomery That's and nothing else. She, at one point, invites Lisa up to her penthouse because they do make a business deal. And when Lisa shows up, Anne is firing arrows in her apartment into a statue's butt just repeatedly. This show loves man butt. It got so many man butts. The only lady butt we get is once we see... Jane Levy, Lisa's butt from the side. This show is so male nude heavy in comparison to the female nudity. I kept marks of every time I saw a man butt. So if there were two shots in a scene of the same guy's butt that counted twice. Okay. I counted a total of eight butts. And none of them are women's butts. Correct. These are just full on butts. We see Sean's butt twice. We see Lionel. The husband of Marcos. Lisa's brother's husband. We see his butt twice. Some random dude that's in a sauna with Renee Zellweger. We see his butt. And then we see the, like, Tormund Giants Bane dancer who kind of forms a thruple. Yeah, the go-go boy who has a threesome. With Narcos, Marcos, and and Lionel. And then becomes the guru of personal awakening for Marcos. We see his butt three times. Yeah. So... There's too much in this for us to try to, like, go through all the narrative. Who do you want to talk about? Okay, well, let's first start with which plot line we would cut. Okay, there are multiple plot lines. So there's the main Lisa and Montgomery plot line where they have this business arrangement together. And there's also the mystery of, like, what happened with Sean? He can't say, but he came back with his knuckles all bruised and brooding and distant but also they're trying to get the business going on but Anne speaks in weird monologues so no one can understand her so there's that going on then we've got her adoptive brother Marcos who's having trouble connecting emotionally in his relationship you get the sense this is his first serious relationship with another man right he came out right before starting to date Lionel basically right 
We also have Angela, who is one of Sean's high school friends and is married to his best friend, Todd. And Angela is having an affair with the chief of surgery at the hospital where she works. And is there another plot line? Sean and Todd are trying to become firefighters. Yeah, I guess that. that goes In the early episodes, so that fast. plays like a whole plot line. Yeah, and then it's just gone. Okay, so which one would you cut? I cut Marcos. I don't know, because halfway through, I was thinking we should cut Angela, because it's the only one that does not tie in any way back to the main plot. So that's how I felt about the Marcos one. See, Marcos, the personal discovery eventually led him to admit that he set the fire that killed Lisa's parents. Sure, and that hurts Lisa's which trust. Which hurts Lisa's trust, which is what this show is essentially about, is Lisa's ability to trust. Whereas the Angela plotline, this is Lisa's husband's best friend's wife. That never leads back into the main plotline. No, they never connect it back at all. no relationship between Angela's plotline and Anne Montgomery. My problem is, with the exception of the Zellweger performance, Angela's plotline is the most interesting. That's the thing, is... I it could sustain its like own it was show. Boring up until the point where they revealed Ian was a serial killer who was stalking Angela, had cameras in her house, threatened to like kidnap her child, and then kidnapped her. So that's why then I turned and was just like, okay, this plot was necessary too, just for sheer audacity. <laughs> so Angela, played by Samantha Marie Ware, is, as we said, she's. Almost done with, like, surgeon training. Right. And she's carrying on an affair with Ian, the chief of surgery. And they're, like, flirting in the hospital. He tells her that a great surgeon needs to have the eye of an eagle, the heart of a lion, and the hands of a woman. And, like, they're boning. She finds out she's pregnant. She's like, oh, no! Because she's been telling Ian she's going to leave her husband. They're, like, having cute dates on the rooftop. I just have to ask... If she's having an affair with him, are they not using protection? I guess, which is stupid. Yeah, because she and her husband are trying to get pregnant. Right. It's going to be obvious if her baby is mixed race that she cheated. Well, I think that's why she's especially stressed about figuring it out while the baby is in utero still, which makes sense. So she finds out the baby is her husband's, and that helps to be a thing to convince her to stay with her husband. Right. But then... Ian, the doctor, is not accepting that. And so he, at one point when she forgot her keys at work, had made copies of them. So he sneaks into her house. He installs cameras all over the place. He starts, like, mailing them creepy packages. He sends them a pig heart at one point. They then are, like, investigating him. They interview his mom. They end up talking to his mom. And she's like, like, he used to be my son. And then his terrible misogynist father took him out into the woods for years and we never saw him again until he came back and then he murdered his sister yep that plot line is really just balls to the wall (laughs) it all he kidnaps todd the husband and like traps him in a basement he kidnaps angela like takes her out into a cabin in the woods where she's gonna be like his slave it turns out that his main motivation in life is women are inferior to men and he wants to take 
women at work who are like bold and trying to get what they want and then breaking them down right because when they break into his basement they find just files and files of women like this and they try to contact them and they're like i'm not in the medical field anymore i want nothing to do with this talk to his mom if you need to talk to someone but leave me alone right so that plot line you're right it never connects but it is wild and it keeps me invested because we cannot recommend this show No, I would find what will inevitably emerge of YouTube compilations of Anne Montgomery's performance. Besides that, it's just... I will say, I feel like the last three episodes were engaging because of how much wild shit went down. Right, this show broke my brain. (laughs) This show, episode one, I was in. Episode two, it started to lag. Episode... Three, four, five, six, and seven, nothing happens. Episode eight, things start to pick up. At one point, a character well, because is ep- hit is by it a car. Episode eight or nine, where we find out that Anne Montgomery is secretly Lisa's mother. That's episode nine. Okay. And then, all of a sudden, this guy who is a criminal who, like, funded Anne Montgomery at the beginning. Shows I still up don't know his Lisa. deal. No one does. He's the mysterious British guy that we've been seeing for the whole series. His name is Liam Strom. And he's like a finance guy, but also personally does the crime, which I don't understand because if you're the like front facing businessman, you also don't want to personally be the guy pointing guns at people. Yeah. This show... Spoilers for all of What If! Yeah, we'll put it in the description. Big spoiler warning. We're not holding anything back. Again, can't recommend it, but also like... Maybe check it out. Yeah, if you've got the time, just go for it. We did it because Linda Holmes at NPR wrote this incredible review of it. That is just hysterical. So if you do nothing else, check that out. Right. Oh, you know what plotline drove me the most insane? What? The high school reunion stuff. Oh my gosh. That was the worst. When they You weren't invested in Todd's relationship with his dad? That just came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, episode seven, it's introduced and revealed Todd has an abusive father. It's introduced. We find out while they're watching videotape of their prom before their high school reunion. And, like, Todd's dad came down into the basement when they were pre-gaming prom and started beating up on Todd. So then Sean, our main character's husband, starts beating up the dad, like, aggressively, like, gets him to the ground and then just keeps kicking him. And it's like, you never touch him again! And that's a sign of his violence because, spoiler, Sean is a murderer. Sean has a dark side. Let's talk, sorry, can we talk about Sean? Yeah, okay. So Sean is this disgraced baseball player. He was gonna play for the Giants or I think he played two seasons. Two seasons with the Giants. He's from Stockton, so he's like a hometown hero. And then he just like has one bad game and apparently... That's it? Which is weird because baseball contracts are long. I was really confused about what broke his career. They never tell us because this show is terrified of specifics. Yeah, it really seems like he had one bad performance in a game. And then they didn't renew his contract. Fired him forever. Yeah. So then after that, he's like hanging out at a bar with his friends. And his ex from high school, Maddie, is getting pretty aggressively hit on by this dude who's like being really creepy and he actually like tries to rape her yeah he does try to rape her and then threatens to rape her again and then sean hits him with a baseball bat and he dies yeah well sean beats him to death with a baseball bat like yeah beats him off then the guy like like you said comes back to try to rape her again sean beats her down again so like there is an element of like he's acting to protect a person against a really creepy guy Well, it's weird to me. So Sean lives with this guilt for years. I think like the next day, 
after this, he's walking through the park thinking about turning himself into the police. And instead he meets Lisa, decides to start a new life with her. I was confused because I feel like he could have gotten what's-her-face Maddie. Maddie to corroborate that this man was like you yes. could have played a self or a defending other person card and gotten a light sentence, which right. he does seven years later. Right. California's got a pretty friendly criminal justice system to white people in that situation. It would have been fine. He would have gone to jail for a few months, and then it would have been fine. So instead, he lives with this horrible guilt. But he saved the baseball bat, which is still covered in blood seven years later. Seven years! It's just sitting in his room covered in blood! So when he spent the night with Anne Montgomery, she didn't have sex with him. Instead, she... Like, gave him monologues about how you have to be true to your worst self and think about the worst things you've done, and you could never be what's right for Lisa, and you should leave her so that she can be her best self, and you can wallow in the most true version of yourself. And this, like, torments his brain until he eventually turns himself into the cops, and he shows up, and he's like, I have news on this cold case. And they're like, oh, really? And he's like, I'm the murderer. And he drops the baseball bat on the cop's desk. And every cop pulls a gun on him. What? I know. If! This show, man. I am broken. I am not the same man that started with episode one of this show. This show. Can we talk about how Lisa's company was funded with a $2 million loan? From her parents. Yeah. Who took out a second mortgage on their restaurant. $2 million. Oh my god. I mean, I feel like medical tech must be expensive, but basically the implication is she has created a way to cure cancer. and By, like, mapping people's DNA, it doesn't make any sense. Right, because her adopted sister died of cancer. That is her motivation. And then ev- and her parents died in a fire. That Marcos set. Her brother, Marcos. Um, so... Let's talk about Marcos, who describes himself as having a dad bod. Which is offensive. And then takes his shirt off, full six-pack, and, like, pecs and everything. It's the worst thing this show did, in my opinion. It's the greatest crime of this crime of a show. That, and having two characters say the words Jedi mind voodoo in two sentences. Yeah. We also never see Narcos's butt. No. Which surprises me, because he's facing the camera when the other two dudes have their butts at us. Yeah, because the threesome has two butts in one shot. So, Marcos is a lawyer who's feeling like he's on hard times because he failed to get these immigrants not deported. Also, every character in this show must be making at least $2 million to afford the places they live. Correct, although we're told Marcos is making $0. Yeah, Marcos is poor, but somehow his realtor boyfriend, who he lives with, must be pulling in $2 million a year to afford the apartment they have. Yes. So he's feeling down on his luck, and he starts flirting with Tormund Giantsbane, the rugged, bearded, redhead dancer. He is not the normal type of guy you see as a go-go boy, I will say. I was surprised. I was thrown. So they have a threesome, Marcos and Lionel and Tormund. Kevin. Sure. And then Kevin is just in their life forever now. Yeah, he just keeps hanging he out. He officiates their wedding in this the is last wild, part of the episode. After, not only do they, like, have a threesome and then, like, bone some more, but then one time when Lionel, Marcos's eventually husband, is on a business trip... Kevin comes over and they pitch a tent in the living room and get crazy high and... Yeah, Marcos accidentally eats four mushroom-laced... Chocolates. Chocolates. 
So they get crazy high and decide that Marcos is trapped because the apartment doesn't have anything of him in it. So they paint this giant mural of a skeleton engulfed in flames. Yeah, it's a kalaka right. engulfed in fire. It's a pretty cool mural. It is a pretty it cool mural. their aesthetic. It's a lot, but I don't think it's like... Marcos is like, he's gonna break up with me if he sees this mural. And instead he's just like, I'm gonna get some new wallpaper, maybe? Yeah. Maybe next time take off the wallpaper before painting a mural. Yeah. Or just paint it on canvas and sell it. I mean, accurate. It looked good. Yeah. But I, should... Kevin did the painting. True. Because Kevin is just like a weird non-human. He's a very weird person. And then he officiates their wedding. He like talks about how his parents were hippies and now he is a guru that go-go dances. It's very strange. I have so many quotes. Can I just take a second to read all of the quotes that I wrote down? Sure. Episode one. She- oh, episode one, by the way, let's remember, is called Pilot. Yes. We're going to track episode titles. Episode one. She's definitely the type of woman who gets what she wants. I can squeeze a lot more than that. Oh, keep the pen. It's one of many. <laughs> so these are just random lines you wrote down. Yeah. I just don't understand why people talk the way they talk in this show. Sure, but I was writing down like... The lines that reminded me of God Friended Me in that they sound like they mean something but don't. Like that opening monologue. Here is the kicker for that. I think that if you suffer terrible things, you're capable of terrible things. Mm. Deep. Deep So wise. That's some Anne Montgomery stuff. I believe it is Anne Montgomery that said that line. (laughs) Of course it is. Selwager is having a blast, and all of her dresses are incredible. She starts every monologue with, like, a weird question most of the time. One of them, she asks, do you know what a vestigial organ is? Like, have yes, you taken frankly. seventh grade science class? We talked about this a couple weeks ago on the show. Yeah, and her point is that vestigial organs are useless and kill you, just like love. Because the appendix sometimes explodes. You might say she's down with love. She is down with... She is a down with love girl. Yeah. As they say a lot in that movie. I just love when Cassidy says, I trust you almost as much as I hate you. After she gets fired for being framed for stealing money from Imogen. Oh yeah, I forgot about Cassidy. Who later gets hit by a car because she forgets her phone. Speaking of phones, Anne Montgomery uses a Cricket Wireless flip phone at one point in this show. <laughs> Just to remind you of that. I don't know if you noticed. I did not notice that. <laughs> yep, yeah, Anne Montgomery pulls out a flip phone that says Cricket Wireless on it. I did notice that these characters are only two years older than I am. Which is alarming. Yeah. Because their prom was in 2009. So that means they're two years older than I am, which means that in two years, this is what I am going to talk and live like. Yep, exactly. In San Francisco, in an apartment you can't afford, where do they have a house? Lisa? A huge house that they buy on a whim. Lisa and Sean live in a giant house. There are. Let's be clear this is a giant house that Lionel, Lisa's brother's boyfriend, is showcasing, and he's like, what if, to get people to buy the house, I show what it would look like if people lived here? So he has all of his friends be actors in the house, just, like, pretending to have a meal or celebrate a holiday and then- or bone in one of the bedrooms, which is what Marcos and Kevin do. And then at the end of the night, Lisa just buys the house on a whim. 
Which, fair, she did just make a lot of money in sure. one day. But, like, the point of that money is to invest it in the company. Well, I guess she's taking a lot of back pay for the year she worked with no salary. Where I guess. I guess they're existing solely off of Sean's bartending money. <laughs> Which only ever comes up in that first scene when Anne Montgomery shows up. It's the only time it's ever mentioned. And then After later that, they say, oh, I miss... He says, like, I miss my bartending job. To remind you that, yes, at one point he was a bartender and then quit. Because it totally shifts to his, like, efforts to become a firefighter, which also gets totally dropped after a couple episodes. So, at the beginning, he is an EMT with dreams of being a firefighter who bartends on the side. Then he becomes the best in the class at the Firefighter Academy. And then, no follow-up. He's never going to do that again because I don't think they hire convicted felons to be firefighters. So, but don't know in what California, they next. do use people who are in prison to fight fires. To fight fires and give them training, but then they're not allowed to use that training to become firefighters once they leave prison. Yay. It's a terrible system. And so, I'm very curious what Sean will do when he is on parole. He's a crazy man with a dark side that probably, if he just went to therapy, he could have addressed. Speaking of crimes, Sean <laughs> yes. turns himself in. For the murder that he did seven years ago. And Marcos is able to get him a reduced sentence because he's like, look, this guy was acting in defense of a person. So there's that. And also there is the fact that he came forward. This crime probably wouldn't have been solved. Like we can knock down some of the sentence. What goes unpunished is the separate major crime committed by Lisa, our main character, who when she goes to the police station in Stockton to find out what has happened to her husband while he's in custody. She steals his police file so she can look through all of it. And the detective who's running the case is just like, eh, those are all photocopied here. You can keep it. And there will be no charges. I was pissed about that because it wasn't that necessary. It's she a didn't major use crime. The files for anything. Like, it wasn't like she stole them and then was trying to prove it. She just looked at his mugshot and then that was it. Mugshots are, like, usually available. She could have found that anywhere. On the internet. God damn it. I hate that. It's such a major crime to not need to do. I know. So then Anne Montgomery posts his bail and he, like, breaks up with her because he's like, you can't be with me. I'll tear you down. And then he falls to his knees crying and, like, hugs Renee Zellweger's legs. I don't understand this show. Anne Montgomery is one of my favorite characters ever made, though. What if? She is so over the top. Remember when they helicoptered to a villa? Remember when she tried to euthanize her mother at the end of the show and that just, like, wasn't really addressed? So then she just burned down the building. And then, in the very end of the series, despite the fact that we've been told she died in the fire... And we're shown that she lit the match... And then sat down in the fire. And then sat in the fire. We then see her wearing a brown wig on some beach somewhere. Yeah. This show only shows the progress of time through bangs anytime there's a change in time frame the show opens with lisa not having bangs and then they cut to one month later and then she has bangs and then Anne montgomery does not have bangs but when they do a flashback of her meeting foster she has bangs that is their go-to move it's also impossible to keep track of the passage of time without the title cards and without bangs or title cards because 
you get a sense like, okay, a couple days are going by in each episode, and then they'll be like, last night, and be talking about the indecent proposal thing. Yeah, so it starts, Anne Montgomery's writing her book. Then it cuts to a year later. We get the Lisa introduction. She's trying to sell her company. She's not having any success. And then by the end of the first episode, we are now a year and three days since the thing. Episode two, they're still figuring stuff out. It's like the next day. It's the next day. There's stuff like that. But then everyone kind of like gets to a place of, you know, relative normalcy again. Cut to one month later. This is where the bangs come in. So we're now at one year, four days, and then a month. The eight months earlier also reveals that, like, Anne Montgomery has been scheming to manipulate Lisa and Sean's life for over a year. Yeah, because... Because she's secretly Lisa's mom. Yeah. And wants Lisa to become like her, detached from the cruelties of love. Yeah, she is manipulating Lisa just to turn her into herself, and that's what breaks Foster who is her protector, I guess? I guess. Foster is like her butler, but he wears sweaters and also carries a gun. Yeah. He's like... He's a former cop who killed the man who raped his daughter. He's like the Jeremy Irons Alfred from Batman vs. Superman, where he's like, Alfred, but he's a badass. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think of any other time cuts. We get a lot of flashbacks and then flash forwards. We see Lisa in college with Cassidy talking about what Emogen is, where E equals MC squared is the thing that solves everything. Like Cassidy wakes up from her coma, writes E equals MC squared on a post-it note in the last episode. And that's how Lisa solves the show. E equals MC squared, Mark. She would never have heard of that if not for the poster. This show is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know, Mark, I always recognize the moment when you see an opponent's defeat is imminent. The glint in your eye. You usually relish it. You don't seem to be relishing this. I don't think we ever addressed the fact that the plotline about Todd's abusive father is introduced... And resolved. (laughs) And resolved. Introduced. There's a scene where he pretends to want to, like... Make up and talk because his father shows up to their reunion because he was the basketball coach, right? Or baseball coach, something like that, some coach. And then he, so he is like, to make amends with his son. Todd's thinking about it, he's excited. It'll be nice to know his only living grandparent. And then he and Angela are like sneaking around the school to bang in a closet or something, like they did in high school. And then they overhear his father being like, Yeah, I'm gonna suck money out of my son because I'm a bad guy. And then Todd's like, We're never talking again. And it never comes up again. What? Why would you do that? Oh, sorry. I just needed to point that out. (laughs) I like when episode seven, which is called What Ghosts, starts off with Anne and Lisa in an airplane, a private jet to go to their FDA hearing for the Imogen technology. And because of another thunderstorm, they're forced to land and they have to stay in this motel. And the motel has no Wi-Fi and also no cell service but there was an airfield nearby? Yeah. They basically say they have to land in Louisville, but they're in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. Right. And again, there's an airfield, but no cell service in America. This show is garbage. We have not talked about the detente. No, we haven't talked about the detente. There's something else with... Oh, I wanted to point out, there are like no thunderstorms in San Francisco. I'm pretty sure they happen every other day. It just 
doesn't happen. Like big I, purple thunderstorms. I want to go grab Nick to come tell us that there are no thunderstorms in San Francisco. Big purple thunderstorms. Okay, Mark's going to get pause Nick it. to confirm Can this. Pause the time. Yeah. Because I watched this whole thing and it drove me crazy. Okay. Nick. How frequent are thunderstorms in San Francisco? Almost never. Like giant purple cloud lightning storms. How many have you ever seen? Three. In like you're talking about three home. in each given day. Is, is that what happens in San Francisco? <laughs> Ant Montgomery, San Francisco? Yeah, there are thunderstorms in every other episode. I think giant. Aunt Montgomery bottles up her fury so much that... It gets unleashed in the heavens. Wow. I think that she owns a weather machine on the top of the fake tower. They she would do it. She into the thing to create very specific thunderstorms. Why do storms happen when I am angry? Lesser beings might not be able to contemplate the dazzling fury of lightning in the sky. But those of us who transcend such petty contemplations can contemplate the pettiness of those who fail. Thank you for your input, Nick. You're welcome. All right, let's talk about the detente. The detente. Every year, Anne Montgomery throws this party for, quote, elite rivals at the top of their fields. So she'll pick two people, say, from the field of medicine who compete a lot and two people from politics who compete a lot and put them all together to brainstorm ideas at a party themed loosely around a famous battle. This year's theme is the French Revolution, which is famously not a battle. Also, it's not. There, it's just not. There is no battle theming. There is no theme in any way. It's the, just rich people around a table. The invitation to this party is a gold coin. <laughs> it's like in John Wick. You have to have the coin to get into the, like, assassin hotels. It's just wild what happens in this show. She invites Lisa, and then Avery, who is her CFO, is just like, this is the most important event ever. To get in is a true honor. And everyone treats it like the biggest deal. Like, one of the dudes that Anne Montgomery does business with, like, part of his compensation for helping her out is like, I want to be invited to the detente this year. Oh, you mean Gage Scott? Gage Scott! Who is her rival slash wants to f*** her. Mm, So you're saying those are elite rivals at the top of their field. It's true. He is another VC person who turned down Imogen in the first episode. He is desperate to bone Anne Montgomery, and really, we all should be. And Anne Montgomery uses him to, like, launch a fake lawsuit to create publicity for Imogen, and he's intrinsic to all of her plans, and then basically she's just like, yes, you have earned the right to have sex with me, but I will engage in no way. The thing is, there's a moment in the high school reunion episode where one of Sean's old friends from high school shows up. His name is Billy. He's now directing commercials. He thinks he's very cool. They ask him what he's doing and he announces that he's invented a time machine. And I thought the show was serious. (laughs) Like I would believe anything of this show to the point that I was like, wow, this is taking a turn. (laughs) What are we going to do? Go into Anne Montgomery's past to figure out her secrets that she was a poor kind of abused child living in this weird penthouse from the 1930s. Also, one thing I did appreciate to go back to Gage Scott is when she said that about how she was just like, I'm not going to engage during this sex. He's like... She's not going to engage Scott? Yeah. Basically, he is like, that's not cool. That's not how sex works. I refuse to do that. 
And you know what? He's a terrible guy, but good for him for respecting consent and how it should happen. Because he thought that Anne was into him, too. I mean, she was aggressively flirting with him. Yeah. But to get what she wanted. Right. They also fence. He taught her how to fence, but she is good. And then throws the match to bring him to the detente. And that's how he knows that she is manipulating him because she would never lose at fencing to him. Right. There is a scene where Anne Montgomery, as played by Renee Zellweger, is Academy Award fencing, winner Renee Zellweger, is fencing. Obviously, it's not her because fencing is the best sport for that because you can hide your identity so perfectly. But yeah, just needed to point that out. Can we run through the episode titles? Yes, will. Okay, I'm going to give them to you. I want you to react. Tell me your thoughts. Okay. I'm sure you couldn't tell me what these episode titles signify in terms of what happens in them because they're meaningless. Great. Episode one, pilot, whatever. Episode two, what now? Cool. What it's happens an episode after, the next day? It's about, after our indecent proposal right, situation. It out. Episode three, what happened? Okay. Yeah. Got some flashbacks in that episode, figuring and out what's happening. Kind of the same deal. What happened during the indecent proposal night? Because right. the contract doesn't allow Sean to tell. It allows Anne Montgomery to tell. Yes. But she chooses not to. Right. Episode four. What drama? I mean, yes. There is a lot of drama in this show. This, I found myself saying, what drama at many points. This does feel like the one where they're like, maybe this premise in titles could not sustain itself as much as yep, we thought. This is the start of the dip. Episode five. What next? This is our month gap. Yep. This is another nice jump back to form with the titles. This yeah. one makes sense again. Episode six. What history? That means nothing. This is the high school reunion episode. Um, Absolutely trash. Episode seven. What ghosts? That means actually nothing. <laughs> yeah. There is... That is trash. But this is when Lisa and Anne realize that they're pretty similar. Like, Lisa says, you and I both evaluate data to achieve a desired outcome. F*** that line. Next episode But title. that's how we know they're similar. Like, maybe they're secretly related. Okay. Episode eight. What secrets? None of these have question marks. What secrets? This is when Sean turns himself into the police oh, with the bloody yes. baseball bat. He's kept a bloody baseball bat for seven years. Where? Where has it been? I don't know. He's been married for years. Yeah. His wife has never found this baseball bat. A hard thing to hide. Yeah. Uh, I get if you're hiding, like, paper. I get if it wasn't covered in blood, it would just be a baseball bat. He's a former baseball player. But I don't know. Okay, that one's what? What We're on what ghosts or was this? That was oh, what, what secrets. secrets. Yeah, again. Episode 9 breaks the format. WTF. Makes sense. What the f*** is something I also thought a lot during this show. This is the one where we find out that Anne is secretly Lisa's, Lisa's mom. Mother. And Which 10. is like particularly striking because so much of Lisa's identity is that her parents were killed in this fire. Yeah. And now she's like, well, the people who raised me were killed in this fire. And then also my real mom is a psycho manipulator. Yeah. So also it's revealed that Lisa's parents essentially bought Anne's child. Yes. They, did they paid Anne. They paid Anne for this baby because Liam Strom knew about this rich couple basic oh no it was the doctor she went to a doctor for an abortion and the right. doctor was like i know a rich couple that will buy your child wild so that also paints a new picture of lisa's like not birth parents but the people who raised the her people who raised her for like 
the first several five years, of her years life. and then her real parents who adopted her and raised her after that right were, marcos's family yeah marcos's family who were who was his mom was her nanny and then they took her in which is an insanely generous thing to do it's a very cool thing to do yes and they're a really good family they get together they have dinners every week at yeah. the family restaurant it's very sweet great yeah. family unit episode 10 what remains nothing well, except Anne Montgomery, Anne Montgomery on a beach, wearing she, a giant hat. She wins with a long brown wig. The show doesn't like her, but she does win. Yeah, crazy, wild. We've got two minutes left. Final thoughts Renee on Zell- what if Renee Zellweger has one Oscar win and three nominations, three Golden Globes and six Golden Globe nominations. We can essentially up that to seven nominations and four wins for Judy, which comes out this year. Yeah, the Golden Globes are going to love that. that it is- doesn't matter if it's good. That's a Golden Globes movie. Right. That thing will win the Golden Globe. And then she has three BAFTA Award nominations and one one five SAG Award nominations and three wins. This show came out right before the Emmy window closed. What are you thinking? No. There's just... It, there's a reason they did it after it closed. No, no. Right before it closed. Oh. They slid This it is up. eligible for this year's Emmys. No. Maybe because it's her first thing on TV. But still. All right. I think that wraps it up. We've got 43 seconds left. Let's go through... Best piece of dating advice you got from this show, Will. Um... I'm going to say... three seconds. Just date someone from high school. Everyone who has a good relationship that doesn't involve really heinous things, maybe, does that? No. There are no good relationships. Nope. Um, I mean, I guess just, like, don't cheat on your husband with someone who turns out to be a serial killer. Yeah. Um, check for baseball bats in your house. Make sure they don't have blood on them. Or have a threesome with a go-go boy, because that's the only one that works out. That does work out really nicely. They're all friends. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about Netflix's What If! (laughs) Goodbye!